of the book of Matthew this morning. I need a little bit more monitor, uh, please, sir. Matthew chapter number 5 this morning. And uh, we, we started last uh, Wednesday night preaching uh, in Matthew 5. Didn't get very far, uh, but we're going to come back again this morning. And uh, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to preach uh, on what I would say, uh, not just because of its message, but because of its messenger, uh, would be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sermon ever preached. The only thing that could be compared to it was uh, another message that Jesus may have preached. Uh, there's no greater preacher than the Lord Jesus this morning. Uh, I want to I want to spend some time. Uh, I, 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 there's three chapters. Uh, I had Levi look it up for me this morning. There's two thousand, or didn't look it up, but counted them. Uh, I said I want you to count the words, and if his if his counting is accurate, uh, which that is, may be subject for inspection, uh, but uh, at least he counted for me. So I'll give him a leeway on two or three, you know. Uh, so if you come along and say, well, I counted more than that, well, that's all right. I called him about uh, about uh, nine, about 10 o'clock this morning. So are you ready for church? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, I need you to do me a favor. Count the next three chapters, five, six, and seven, every word. He said, okay. And uh, 2,392 words in the Lord's message. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is what it's been called. Uh, 2,392 words, uh, this message. Uh, I read it the other night, I've read it many times, but the other night uh, I read the message in my best preacher voice uh, with uh, emphasized pauses uh, and uh, ecstatic statements uh, and it took me 15 minutes. I read it like I was preaching and it took me 15 minutes to read these 2,392 words. I, I, I guess I'd say it took me about 15 minutes to preach the Lord's message. Uh, not that that matters to you any, uh, but it's not a long message, about a 15-minute sermon. Somebody said, preacher, why can't you be more like Jesus? It takes you three or four times as long to preach a message. Well, the simple answer to that is I'm not Jesus. Uh, I'm not Jesus. 15-minute message, 2,392 words, if the Lord is, or if Levi, rather, is accurate in his counting. Uh, and yet, most, some of the most powerful statements that anyone had ever heard, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I, I want to uh, read this morning, we'll read just a few verses of it. I'm really just going to give an introduction to you uh, this morning, and and, and normally I don't really preach series on Sunday mornings. I usually just leave Sunday morning open for whatever. Maybe it'll be a two or three weeks. I'll be in the same subject. But I don't usually endeavor to preach a series on Sunday morning. I usually reserve that for a Wednesday night or my Sunday night Sunday school class, something like that. Uh, but here's what I'm going to do. If it were to uh, take me 20 messages to preach through the Sermon on the Mount, all three of these chapters, chapter 5, 6, and 7, the red letter words uh, in the book of Matthew. If it were to take me 20 uh, uh, messages to preach it through, if I could get it done in that, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, uh, that would be about five months if I only preached on Wednesday nights that it would take us to get through this. Uh, my attention span is not that long. 
Uh, yours ain't either. I, I know. I've, I've been your preacher for 15 years, but really mine's not. Uh, I, I wear out on a subject after a little while. Uh, and so I figured if I spent Sunday morning, if the Lord allows, and Wednesday night, if the Lord allows, uh, that I'd be done with this in half the time. Uh, about two, two and a half months, we can preach through the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe there'll be weeks where we're off. Maybe there'll be weeks where, uh, where I am, uh, the Lord uh, changes my direction. Uh, but with His help, that is my desire to take these three chapters and preach them to you this morning. Uh, I, I'll say this, uh, just as I head into the preaching, it may be a little slower, a little bit more uh, uh, monotonous maybe in some areas because I want to do some teaching as well. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this this morning uh, about this uh, sermon uh, on the mount. Uh, it is not a, an offer of salvation. Uh, you're not going to find in the Sermon on the Mount how to be saved. Jesus never teaches that. He's going to down the road, but he does not teach how to get born again on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. Really, he takes the Old Testament theme of the law and man's inability to keep the law, and he carries that over into Matthew's Gospel, and he shows this crowd, this multitude, and his disciples that without him, Without hope, they are still uh, unable to keep the law and they're still as helpless and hopeless uh, as any man has ever been. Aren't you glad for the day that you realize that you could not save yourself? Aren't you glad for the day you realize that you were not good enough, that your church membership, your church attendance, your tithing record, your, 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 your uh, works on this earth were not going to get you into the presence of God? And you found yourself hopeless, but I want to say to you this morning, Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. Jesus is the help for the helpless. And if you're here this morning trying to do everything you can to please God, I want you to understand by the time we get done preaching this morning, there is nothing I can do to please God on my own. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can live... Uh, uh, the life of a saved man because Jesus is the only one who can save a man. Uh, so the gospel message of salvation is not delivered here. He really preaches this message and kind of leaves them all uh, on the edge of what, what is to come. Many of them will decide we're going to follow on. What he says will, det will detract many followers from ever following him again. There'll be folks who will say, I've got to hear more of this man. But there will also be folks who will say, I've heard enough from this man. Much like the hour that we're living in today. There are individuals who hear truth that convicts and they say, not me, not me, never again. I'll find somewhere, I'll find something to hear that makes me feel good with no conviction. But every now and then, there'll be someone who's lived in the darkness long enough They've lived in depravity till they've had it up to their eyeballs and they'll say, I'll listen to anything he's got to say if it'll get me out of the mess that I'm in. They are candidates for salvation and it won't be long that the Lord Jesus will reveal to them the truth that saves. Aren't you glad this morning for the day that the Lord revealed to you not only that you were a sinner that was hopeless and helpless, uh, we need to know that and without that you're not going to get saved. 
But aren't you glad he went further and revealed to you that there is help, that there is hope, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus alone can save, and when he saves, he saves to the uttermost. Uh, I have outlined the Sermon on the Mount. I've got four main points. Uh, number one, the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I preached this morning. Uh, number two, the instruction of the Sermon on the Mount. And there is instruction uh, in this sermon. Uh, number three, the impossibility of the Sermon on the Mount. There's some things that Jesus tells them to do that they can't do. Why in the world would Jesus tell you to do something that you can't do? Uh, so you'd realize you can't do it and only he can. They are faced with the impossible task of performing uh, the life that Jesus would have those who live in his kingdom live without being in his kingdom. They are not uh, members, they are not citizens of this kingdom. They're citizens of the kingdom of this world and yet Jesus is going to tell them, if you're going to live in my kingdom, this is how I am going to want you to live and he gives them this truth and reality, much of it they cannot do except with a new birth. I want to tell you this this morning. If you're trying to live the Christian life without Christ, it is impossible. If you're trying to be a Christian without Christ in you, you are spinning your wheels and running around in circles and getting nowhere. And eventually you'll either get tired of it and run to Jesus or you'll get tired of it and give up on religion. It is impossible to do many of the things Jesus said to do except to be born again. And then the last thought we'll close uh, in days and weeks to come is the inspiration of the Sermon on the Mount. What happens after this? Let, let's start this morning. Let's, let's look this morning at the introduction uh, to Jesus' Sermon uh, on the Mount. There's three things I want to give you this morning that it reveals. Three things that are revealed in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that need to be revealed, that must be revealed, have been previously revealed, but they are revealed again uh, in this text this morning. Number one, I would say to you the first revelation or the first thing revealed in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is that there is now a new day. Jesus reveals to his listeners uh, truth about a new day. Uh, you say, well, what in the world do you mean by that, preacher? A new day. Uh, as I studied this morning and this week and yesterday and uh, throughout this week since the last time we, I guess I studied the Sermon on the Mount all week last week. Uh, as I studied, one thing that I found out uh, about the Sermon on the Mount uh, is that really it is a new day. This message that Jesus preached, he, he has spoken once or twice uh, in, the Old or in the New Testament previous to this. Uh, we've heard his words a few times, but this is the first message that is recorded that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, mind you, uh, has something to say uh, to the people of God and the people of this lost world. Uh, it is a new day. And it's a new day because, number one, the silence has been broken. Uh, the book of Matthew opens up the New Testament. Uh, the book of Malachi closes out the Old Testament. And there is a period of 400 years that span from Malachi 
to uh, Matthew, uh, there is a period of 400 years where there is no voice of God mentioned and there is no visitation of God mentioned in the book of, uh, or in that time frame uh, in the life and of the people of God. People who have known God's voice, they are a people who have known God's visitation and yet because of their rebellion and their disobedience, God has closed out the book of Malachi, He has closed out the Old Testament and they have sat in darkness for 400 years without a visit from God and without the voice of God. Anybody in here glad this morning for the visitation of God? Can you imagine living your life and God never visiting you again? Anybody in here this morning thankful for the voice of God? Can you imagine living your life and never hearing His voice again? That there come a time that the visit and the voice shut off and because of disobedience and rebellion and wickedness, there is a period of 400 years of silence. I want to say you better not, and I'd better not, and Crossroads Baptist Church had better not take uh, the visitation of God lightly he don't have to come by here and meet with us and he don't have to come by and speak to us he don't have to talk to you in the car he don't have to talk to you in the pew he don't have to talk to you on the altar he don't have to talk to you while the choir's singing and God help us this morning that when he does talk we're obedient and we are grateful and appreciative of the fact that God has spoke to me I, I have heard his voice I have been in his presence I have known his visitation what is man that the psalmist said that thou art mindful of him? I, I want to move on, but I want to stop right here and say nobody, but I sure am glad God has paid a visit to a nobody. I'm nobody, but I sure am glad God has spoken. I have heard the voice of the Lord. He has spoken to a no one like me. Undeserving, unworthy, but God has spoken. But not always so. 400 years of silence. 400 years of darkness. 400 years of not knowing where God was. And yet they carried on in their tradition. They carried on in their religion that they loved. But a religion without God. They carried on in their traditions they loved. But a tradition without God. They, they, they worshipped him in name. But they did not worship him in nature. They worshipped him. Uh, they worshipped him uh, in observation. But they did not worship in spirit and in truth. A dead religion. America's eat up with dead religion. The other nations of this world, it's not just America. The other nations are eat up in dead religion. They have their orthodoxy. They have their religious ceremonies. They have their papistry. They have their ceremonial services. And yet they're eat up in religion that is dead. God's not speaking. God's not visiting. I'm so glad this morning. It's not always every service that God shows up. But I'm so glad this morning that at Crossroads Baptist Church there's a heavenly Savior that's made a heavenly visit. And he's visited with us and we've heard the voice of the Lord. 400 years of silence, but it's a new day. 400 years of emptiness, drought spiritually, but it's a new day. 
400 years of God silent to his people. But it's a new day is what is revealed in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a new day because the silence is broken. From the silence comes a sound. It is the voice of God. We hear it uh, in the beginning of Matthew. There's a heavenly announcement. Uh, the angel of the Lord announces uh, to Joseph and Mary and says to Joseph and Mary, the Messiah is coming. I'm sending the Son. He's on his way. And the announcement is Jesus is coming. We hear it in uh, the announcement of the angel to the shepherds who out there in the field in the darkness of night Angel of the Lord appears unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. He said, I've got an announcement to make. Jesus is on the way. Matthew chapter number 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, 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 Elijah, if you will, John the Baptist, uh, walks in on the scene and he says, I want to tell you there's one coming. And he spake of one who was coming. And in Matthew chapter number, is it chapter number 3, Jesus enters into them baptismal waters. The Holy Ghost of God descends on him like a dove and the, the clouds part way and the voice of heaven thunders, the voice of God thunders upon man and he says, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. For the first time in 400 years, God has thundered his voice to the people who have walked away from him. I remember living in darkness. I remember living in sin. I remember, I remember when I was lost, but I'm glad, thank God, I remember the voice of God that convicted me. I remember the visitation of God that brought me to surrender and salvation. He's talking this morning, hear him. If he's talking this morning, listen to him. He's speaking this morning. God speaks to man. It is a new day. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, begins to speak like never man spake before. He spake as one, Matthew chapter number uh, seven says they were astonished he spake as one having authority not like the scribes and the Pharisees uh, sinner if God is speaking this morning hear what he has to say to you John chapter 5 verse 24 verse 25 verily verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Jesus got something to say to you this morning if you're lost, if you'll hear him. The child of God, Christian, rejoice this morning that the Lord is speaking to you. John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But that first part, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. There is a new day because of silence not only is it a new day because of the silence that is broken, but there's a new day because of the sermon that is blessed or blessed. 
Again, I'm preaching this morning an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and it reveals a new day because the silence is broken. It reveals a new day because the sermon that is left. If I was sitting in here this morning, I was lost, and God was talking to me, I wouldn't wait till the end of this sermon. I'd get up out of my pew. I'd get on the altar and get born again while God's speaking. If I was here this morning, God's talking to you about something in your life you need to surrender to him, I'd surrender it to him right now, either in my pew or on the altar, but I'd respond to the voice of Almighty God. But it's a new day because of the sermon that is blessed. Notice the very first word, chapter 5, verse 3, very first red letter word, very first word of the Lord Jesus. You can look at it with me. What is it? Blessing very first word that opens up his sermon uh, is the word blessed. That word uh, blessed uh, means happy, fortunate, blissful. No doubt the multitude down in the valley that are listening eagerly on, no doubt the disciples that have come up on the mountain and are gathered around him and they are listening and, and, the, and the first word of his message strikes a chord because isn't that the very thing that every one of us want of the blessedness and the peace and the happiness that God can give. So he says blessed as he opens up his message this morning. I find that interesting this morning because the Old Testament ends Malachi chapter 4 verse number 6. The Old Testament, I'll read it to you. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The last message preached in the Old Testament ends with a curse. The last message preached, are y'all hearing me this morning? Am I boring y'all to death? The last message, some of you, I think I am. I, I'm trying not to. Some of you are with me, some of you are not. Y'all just help me this morning. The last message in the, in the Old Testament ends with a curse. Matter of fact, the very last word in the Old Testament is the word curse. God gives man the law. God gives man the prophets. God gives man to the kings and the prophets. God gives a special anointing to the people and the nation of Israel. And yet time and time and time again they fail him until finally Malachi preaches one last message to the people of God. And he said if you don't turn, if you don't repent, if you rebel, there will be a curse. And the Bible, Old Testament Bible closes down. The last word of God to a nation is the word curse. That's how it ends. Curse, curse, curse. It ends with a curse. And apart from God, that's how it ends for you. Apart from God, that's how it ends for me. Apart from God, every sinner, it ends with a curse. But Matthew, first message that is preached, it starts with a blessing. The last message of the Old Testament ends with a curse. The first message of the New Testament starts with a blessing. I'm trying to tell you it's a new day. When Jesus shows up on the scene, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old Testament man's given the law and time and time again as the schoolmaster the law proves to Old Testament man you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You've never been good enough. The best that you've got will not be good enough. Your best leaders are not good enough and curse
person is the man. But the New Testament shows up and says, but there's one good enough. There's one who is good enough. He's always been good enough. He'll always be good enough. And he starts his message with a blessing. Hallelujah. It's a new day. Anybody remember old things? Anybody remember the way it used to be? Anybody remember the darkness and the depravity? I feel like preaching this morning. The darkness and the depravity and the death and the depths of sin. But one day Jesus walked into your life and where there was a curse, he brought a blessing. Where there was death, he brought life. It's a new day. I'm glad, thank God, the songwriter said, I'm in a new world since the Lord saved me. A new day. Jesus' words echoes down in that valley. Those disciples have gathered nearby. They're listening intently. Hanging on the edge of every word, Jesus said, bless it. Blessed, blessed, blessed. This is a new day. This Sermon on the Mount reveals that. But as much as I've enjoyed telling you this morning about a new day, it don't take long until we find out there's another revelation. It is not just that there is a new day. There is a new dilemma. A new problem of sorts. There's a new day. Silence has been broken. There's a new day. The sermon is blessed, blessed. At least that's how it seems. Now there is a, a new dilemma. No doubt amazed Jesus' disciples and his new disciples at that. They're just starting out with him. Just got called the previous chapter. They're fresh and new just new Christians and then there's a crowd out there they're not even Christians they're hearing him for the first time preach his message sitting on the edge of every word as he says blessed them being Old Testament Jews knew it ended with a curse and that this Messiah he must be the Messiah he has come with a blessing that we're all looking for and there's not anybody that got up this morning that wants to live in a curse there's not anybody that got up and put church clothes on that wants to live in a curse but there's no I mean even people who are going to dead religious systems they are looking for one thing and that is blessedness of life so they're listening I want to live blessed. I want to be blessed. Here's what the Sermon on the Mount reveals. Not just a new day, but a new dilemma. Jesus' message may start with blessing, blessed. But as he talks, no doubt the congregation becomes disheartened as they hear his words. A unanimous hush must have filled the little valley where his listeners looked on in fear and dread. What did he just say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that's not, that's not, that's not worldly kingdom thinking. Blessed are they that mourn. That's not what we were looking for. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
Blessed are they which are persecuted. That's what we're living in now. I can hear one say, we're under persecution of Rome and you're coming to tell me that blessed is the man that lives in the persecution. You see the dilemma? This Jesus that is preaching to them has a message that starts out very popular but it takes a nose dive real quick. Most of us don't want to hear his message no more than they did. We want a blessed life. We want the blessings of God. We want, but what our mentality of blessed is, is blessed is the rich. Blessed are those who never cry or mourn. Blessed are those who never have to make peace because they live in peace. Blessed are those who lived above persecution because they have strength and power and wealth. Jesus said, not so. I mean, it gets worse. Look, look, look in verse 20. Uh, and they're listening to him preach. I'm just giving an introduction this morning. It's a new day, but there's a new dilemma. Jesus says, uh, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I'm telling you about a dilemma. Can you imagine their amazement? Hold on, what did he just say? Let's see if we can get him to rewind. Excuse me, Lord, would you repeat that statement? I'm not sure I heard you right, okay? Except your righteousness. Exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, who, by the way, were eat up with self-righteousness, and everybody knew it, and unrighteousness, and everybody knew it. But he said, unless your righteousness is greater than their righteousness, you ain't getting in on this kingdom. Scribes and Pharisees were the best of the best. They kept the law indeed. They kept the law in action. They'd even come up with more laws about the law just to keep people from messing up in the law. Jesus said, you're going to have to do better than them if you're going to get into this. Are y'all with me this morning? I'm talking about a dilemma. I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were the deliverer. I thought you had come to get us out of this mess. And yet your words are harder than the words that we lived in in the Old Testament. I've got to be better than them. It, it don't get better either. We, we, we read verse number 21. You've heard that it is said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. He said, You've heard, Thou shalt not kill. I say unto you, that whoso is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay, I can get by with thou shalt not kill. Help me right there. But who is angry with his brother? Sounds to me like Jesus has said, oh, y'all think that was something? Let me really show you the righteousness of God. The Old Testament law is righteousness given to man that really man can't even attain all of it and man failed all of it but the righteousness of God far exceeds the righteousness of the Old Testament law. The righteousness of God is a matter of the heart. Jesus said, you heard you should not kill. I want you to know not even that but if you're angry with your brother 
Without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Oh, he's up the ante, hasn't he? Now don't let me don't let me lose you this morning. It's a new day. There's a new dilemma. Let's let's look on. Look, let's read another verse. Verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's Old Testament law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Maybe there would be one who could say in that crowd, I'm never killed. But Jesus said, But you've got murder in your heart because you've been angry with your brother without a cause. Maybe there was one in that crowd that could say, I've never committed adultery, but Jesus said, but you've got adultery in your heart because you've looked on a woman with lust or vice versa for the ladies. Verse 29, if thou right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members perish, not thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Unbelievable. If we couldn't live up to the Old Testament law, why is Jesus preaching this New Testament sermon that's making it harder for us Old Testament. I'll tell you why and I'm going to get back to reading. Jesus is not interested nearly as much in the matter of your hands and the matter of your head and the matter of your feet and the matter of your ears and the matter of your attire. All of that does matter but what Jesus wants to get past is your head. He wants to get past your ears. He wants to get past your hands and your feet and your eyes and he wants to get to that thing in the side, on the inside of you called your heart, your inner man and there is where all the issues of life flow from. You can dress up on the outside. You can change what you're listening to. You can fix what your hands are touching. You can move away from your life what your feet are walking to. You can move out of your life what your eyes are looking at. But Jesus wanted them to know, but if the heart is corrupt, you're still corrupt. All the matters of life flow from the heart. So I say unto you, couldn't do it then, you can't do it now. Let's read on. Y'all still with me? I feel like you are now. Verse, what verse? Verse, verse 31. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving cause of fornication, causing her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. No doubt when he said that, the words of many of them in that day knew what that meant. Read on. Verse, verse number 33. Again, you have heard that it hath been said of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself but shall perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is the footstool, his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair 
white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. Whatsoever is more than these cometh evil. I'm nearly done reading these, but I, verse, verse 38, you have heard that it's been said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. For whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away the coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thy way. Verse 43, you've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Talking about a dilemma this morning. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 48, be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I seen a new day, and y'all were rejoicing with me this morning when we were on that thought. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Don't y'all want to go back to a new day? Let's go back to that. Let's talk about the silence is broken. Let's go back to the new day, and let's talk about the sermon that is blessed. But Jesus moves quickly from that to a new dilemma. It's the matter of the heart. I can hear one of these congregants, maybe even one of the disciples. Maybe Judas Iscariot is there, and he's determined in his heart, if this is what it takes, I will never be a fisherman. But maybe some of his disciples that are genuine, they are saved, they have come by faith and followed the Lord Jesus. Though, though Calvary's not yet taken place, God has saved them by their faith. And I can see one of these disciples as a puzzle and say, how can this be? Jesus has condemned all of us. And I can see the congregation as they sat at the valley of this mound of Beatitudes, this mound of Jesus' great sermon, and I can see this crowd as they sat there. I can hear them and see them as they think. I am condemned. If Jesus is right, then I'm wrong. If Jesus is right, there's no hope for me. The Old Testament law, I'm nearly done preaching this morning, the Old Testament law demanded right actions. But Jesus' law goes further and demands right attitudes. It's not just that my actions are right, but my attitudes in which I perform my actions. See, that's where we're guilty. I see the dilemma. I guess this ain't for me, but I know me. I can never live up or attain to that kind of life. Isn't it funny how proud people are that they think they can? Sitting in here this morning, there are people who think that they can perform enough laws to please God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that in churches across the world, people think if they've got this right, got their Hail Marys right, they've got their rosary beads right, they've got their candles lit right, they've got their confessional times right, that somehow they are living up to the law of Christ. Jesus wanted them to know you actually are in a dilemma. 
Blessed day. Blessed be the day. And blessed be the God of the day. That this one you're looking at right here ran into myself. Realized that who he was I could never be. What he did I could never do. His laws I could never keep. I couldn't keep the Old Testament law let alone of the new message that Christ preached that expounded that law. Bowing my head, not me. I can't. I don't know how. <laughs> That's why Jesus was preaching to them. He wanted his disciples to know it ain't you. He wanted the multitude to know it ain't you either. If there's any hope in Christ, if there's any help, it's in Christ. You know why? We've watched it, people come to our church excited. It'll be one of them good services, you know, where, where this family will come to the altar and pray and these people will cry and somebody will get saved and we'll be baptizing somebody and, and the preacher will just be, I mean, he'll be just right. He'll, uh, and sometimes I get that way, you know. I'll be funny one day and people will be like, oh, that's a good preacher. I'll, I'll be excited. I said, we got to go back and watch him stand on a pew. He's entertaining. But there'll come a day. Holy Ghost of God will pierce their heart. There'll come a day the Holy Ghost of God will say something to the depths of their soul and they'll recognize they're a sinner. They'll have one or two decisions. I don't know what Jesus will do with me, but I'm going to follow him and see what he says. Or they'll say, I'll find somewhere else to listen. Someone who don't talk like me. I can see part of this crowd leaving when he's done, astonished as they were. Saying, well, that was an entertaining 15 minutes. But, you know, my old religion's working just fine. It's a little dead, mundane and monotonous. But, you know, there is comfort and familiarity. I'm going to go back to my dead temple, my dead tradition, my dead service. Because it's comfort in the normal and the fact that everybody's good. Have I lost y'all this morning? But some will say, I ain't never heard no one speak like that. I don't know how to get out of this mess that I'm in. But I think I'm going to hang around and see if he's got anything else to say about it. <laughs> Those are the folks that come back the next service. When you thought good and well, they got scared half to death the first service. but And they may have because truth will scare you. But they come back because they heard something that they wasn't hearing where they were. And they come back to hear him speak again. And hear him, how can we belong to this kingdom and state we're in? What a dilemma. And yet, they were pierced in their conscience. They were convicted in their soul. He was right, they were wrong. His words were true, they were helpless and hopeless. The greatest dilemma of their life. I'll say to you again as I move on and close, I'm glad for the day that it occurred to me, if I'm wrong, if he's right, I'm in trouble. 
Well, if it would occur to you this morning that if Jesus is right and he is, you're wrong. Struggle this morning. The introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, it reveals, number one, a new day. It reveals quickly, number two, a new dilemma. Man is still lost. Nothing Jesus tells them shows them how to be saved. It just expounds on the fact that they're just as lost as they've ever been. God is speaking once again, but he's speaking about your sin. See, here's what we want this morning. Hear me now. We want to come to church and we want to go to the altar. We want to cry on the altar. We want that emotional feeling. And we want that because that makes us feel good. And and, and here's the thing. If God saves you... Then There'll be times like that, but your Christian life is not dependent on you getting out in sin, living your life the way you want, running to an altar every service, and, and crying on the altar. The Lord Jesus wants to get to the matter of the issue that is the matter of your heart, and it's not about me and you feeling good, it's about me and you actually leaving here realizing, I am in trouble! Leads to the third great revelation of the Sermon on the Mount. New day, new dilemma, but a new deliverer. If you'll hang with me about five minutes, I'll close. Twelve twenty-five. I'm doing pretty good actually. Okay, I guess. You could smile or nod your head. That would make me feel better. Might not change the outcome of my length of my preaching, but I would feel better. A new deliverer. A new day of dawn, but with it a new dilemma. So what they would need would be a new deliverer. And not the deliverers like those of their past. What was needed was a deliverer that could deliver once and for all. If God had come to speak again, if God had come to visit again, if God had come to meet with them again, surely it would be in vain if the matter were not fixed and the, and the problem solved without their help. Because obviously, like you and me, they couldn't do it on their own. And every time they got the chance, they ended back up in trouble. They knew Adam. Knew what Adam had done, the father of us all. This new deliverer would have to be greater than Adam. He'd have to be better than Adam. He'd have to reverse the curse that Adam brought. Adam went into a garden and destroyed the whole thing. Jesus went into a garden and fixed it all. Adam went into the garden and became a thief, robbing God of his plunged us all into hell. Jesus went to Calvary and saved a thief. Adam was a thief that lost paradise. Jesus went to Calvary and saved a thief and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I got a feeling this morning that this new deliverer is better than Adam. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. What the first Adam lost, the last Adam fixed. What the first Adam messed up, the last Adam reversed and cleansed and made right. 
They were familiar with Noah. They knew that Noah had built that ark, saved his family, got on that boat when the floodwaters came. God had closed the door. They knew they were going to be saved. They knew that Noah was a man of faith. They knew that Noah was a man of integrity. They knew that Noah was a man of obedience. But they also knew that when Noah got off of that ark, Noah was a man of failure who got drunk. And in a, in a, in a, I don't know what all happened, but in a sinful situation, Noah's son, Ham, sinned. And because of that, his grandson, Canaan, was cursed. God had sent a deliverer to save him from the old world. Only a handful got in and those who got off the boat went back in the boat. Must be a new deliverer. One better than Adam. One better than Noah. They knew of Father Abraham who had, I believe was the father of the nation of Israel who had uh, left Ur of the Chaldees, that Gentile world. By obedience followed God, by faith followed God and entered into a new world. From Abraham we get Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But they also knew it wasn't long. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees and he ended up in Egypt. And it wasn't long after that his descendants, uh, 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 Jacob and uh, Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph and all of the people of God ended back up in Egypt. And for 400 years they were slaves to the Egyptians. They were bondsmen in the land of Egypt. Abraham was the father of the faith. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a good man. But if there's going to be deliverance brought, he'll have to be greater than Abraham to ever get us out of trouble. I think y'all know where I'm going, don't you? So God sent Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him when he was just a baby in that Nile River and God sent Pharaoh's daughter by, picked up Moses and raised him up and by faith one day Moses chose rather to suffer with the people of God than endure or enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season and God at the burning bush called Moses to bring the great exodus of Israel out of it wouldn't be long Moses would lose his temper. It wouldn't be long that Moses would disobey God. It wouldn't be long that Moses would not enter into the promised land. As great as Moses was, he'd have to be greater than Moses. As great as Moses was, this new leader must be better than Moses. Joshua come along, Jesus saves Joshua comes along, brings them out of the wilderness into the Red Sea, across or across the Jordan River into the promised land of Canaan. And there they lived in the plenty and the goodness of God. But just a little while later, they were rebellious again. They were wicked again. They were turned back again. They were hard-hearted again. Every deliverance that God used a man to get them out of and through immediately or there, quickly thereafter back they are. Sounds like some of us, don't it? They had the days of the judges. They ended with every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. God gave them kings. But 
many of the king's heart turned from God. God gave them the prophets, but many of the kings and people rebelled against God and his preachers. Second Chronicles 36, 16 says, And they mocked the messengers of God off the captivity of Israel. They needed a new deliverer, but he'd have to be better than the judges, better than Samuel. He'd have to be better than David, as good as David was. David wasn't good enough. He'd have to be better than this new deliverer. Now here they are again at the end of this 400 years of silence. They're captive by Rome. They're going to be delivered. They have to be one better. Hebrews chapter number 1, verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past, under the fathers by the prophets. Half, I'm done if you'll get this. In these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the truth but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others for then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. I've got a feeling this morning. I've got more than a feeling this morning. i got the Bible to back it up. A new deliverer has arrived and he did it all by himself and he put away sin all by himself. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. New deliverer. He's greater, he's able, he's better, he's better than better. He's the only one who can. You can't do it yourself. No one ever has been able to. If you try to get religion, you'll end up in trouble again. If you try to turn over a new leaf, it'll only turn back over when the wind blows. What you need is to be born again. What you need is the deliverance that only Jesus Christ can bring. who can as he comes to the piano set free sins captives once and for all at the end of Jesus sermon one thing is certain the people were astonished at his doctrine Matthew 7 28 for those that were looking there was a glimmer of hope a light shining in their darkness this man was who he said he was this man who spake with authority this might be there deliverer. I'm going to tell you something this morning, what they would soon find out, he is. He's the light that shines in darkness. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's the spotless, perfect, holy lamb of God. He is the blessed redeemer. He is Israel's deliverer, but not just Israel's deliverer. He came to save the 
Jews and not just the Greeks, but the or not just the Jews, but the Greeks, the Gentiles. He's your deliverer. He's my deliverer. If this morning God is speaking, uh, He's probably talking to you about your sin. Uh, you say, preacher, I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a strait. I'm in a fix. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Throw yourself at the mercy of the great deliverer. Bow in His presence. Uh, confess that you're a sin. Uh, that you're a sinner. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just you're here this morning and you're saved but your life has caused the voice of God to go silent run to the altar she prays bow before him admit your own and rest in his deliverance he's the only one who can let's stand this morning Lord thank you would you help us now in this invitation in Christ's precious name. Oh, I bless the Lord. What a Savior. In Christ's name. She's going to sing. Do you mind the Lord this morning? Bless his name.